Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Welcome back, modelers. Thank you for tuning in again. All the snow and ice has finally left Kentucky, and we're being teased with a little spring-like weather currently. We're going to be talking about squirrels and rabbit holes in our special segment tonight, so let's get into it with episode 32 of Plastic Model Mojo. Well, Dave, we're back for more fun and games. Sounds great, Mike. Can't wait. And tell us who's in the third seat tonight. Well, back for a return engagement, working his way toward the five-appearance red velvet jacket, is uh, West Coast uh, modeler Jim Bates. Hi, Jim. Hello, eh? <laughs> eh? Uh, <laughs> got to get the Canadian in. You got to. Thanks, thanks for thinking enough of us to come back again. <laughs> thanks for having me back again. Well, you're welcome. Well, among other things, Jim is responsible for John Miller coming on our podcast and then agreeing to do regular episodes with us. John John and Jim live out near each other and model together, and Jim's been very good about getting John to come on to the podcast. Well, we'll have to get him back on here before too long. Yep, absolutely. And you too, Jim. Yep, always, anytime. Well, Dave, what's up in your model sphere? Well, my model sphere is kind of hectic right now, Mike. Um, you know, it's a little bit scattered. Work work has been very busy. Uh, like I've mentioned a couple of times previously, my job is one of those jobs that the pandemic didn't make less work. It just made more work. So uh, that's been kind of distracting. Then, as you well know, the last... Uh, Last week or so, we had some interesting weather for Kentucky, not our usual winter weather. and uh, We had modeling weather. Yes, excellent modeling weather, as long as you've already got the driveway shoveled and the ice cleared off the cars, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that took some energy. And then I've, I've gotten some modeling done, especially when I'm trapped into those in those uh snowstorm type uh, days, but uh, it, it's it's been a little scattered. It hasn't been as efficient. And also I'm battling a little bit of uh, uh, fear, the subject that uh, Jim talked about last time he was on. So uh, maybe we'll dive into that later. So what's your model sphere been going, been doing? Well, I'm testing a new microphone tonight, so. It sounds good. So if, if this works out, I'll be ordering another one for you. And, Good. Uh, we'll be set. We'll have three microphones so we can go remote and have somebody else on the uh, on the other on the, on the on the third line. It still looks like April is assuming Indy holds their date, which so far they have. It looks like April is going to be our chance to go remote and go to a model show. We'll see how that goes. Fingers crossed. What's up with you, Jim, outside of uh, glue and plastic together that's modeling related? Uh, not really much. Uh, to uh, follow up on what Dave said, I, uh, I've never talked about this before, but I'm on the IPMS Canada Executive Board, and we had a meeting last Thursday and unfortunately decided that we're not going to sponsor a uh, 
our IPMN, uh, IPMS Canada Best Canadian at this year's Nationals because we're concerned not enough Canadians will be able to get there. Well, that's probably fair enough. Yeah, because with the border closed, um, we're not sure they can travel. Yeah, well, Jim, that means you and I are going to have to represent extra hard at the Nationals for IPMS Canada. We're gonna Which means we'll just have to drink all the beer, yes. Exactly. We're going to have to drink. Now, you can need to get into training right now and start increasing your beer consumption so that we can do the Canadians proud when we get to, to Las Vegas. Sounds like a plan. Yes, A. Eh? <laughs> no way, eh? Speaking of uh, modeling fluids, Jim, what's uh, what's your modeling fluid of choice tonight? Well, I have mentioned um, a couple times that I tried to do January, but it's no longer January. So I actually, for the first time in about a year, bought some beer, and I am drinking Black Raven Pilsner. Black Raven is a local brewery in Bellevue uh, on the east side of Seattle, and I'm really enjoying the Pilsner. It's a good one. Is it something you've had before? Yes, I have bought it before. Uh, the funny thing about it is uh, I used to live up in Bellevue, and when I went up looking for it at the Bellevue uh, grocery store that's got a great beer selection, couldn't find it. But our little grocery store here in Tacoma has it. Well, good. I'm glad you found it. Hope you enjoy it. Yep. Mike, uh, what's your modeling fluid this evening? Bullet. <laughs> bullet. That's all he said. Bullet. Well, you know, it's obviously a fave. You keep going back to it. It's a fave. I I, I picked it up uh, over the weekend. Probably had a little too much Saturday night. Well, Dan, yeah, you survived, right? I survived, yes. I'm alive. Alive and kicking. There you go. What about, what about you? Are you about to pull a can tab right now? No, actually, I've already opened it. I'm drinking them out of bottle. Uh, Mike, do you remember when you and I went to the uh, IPMS U.S. Nationals in Oklahoma City in 2003? Yes, I do. That was the the best of times. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, well, one of the nice things was that right down from the convention hotel was this uh, bar called Brew Works that had like 103 beers on tap um, and a beer selection way beyond that. Well, there is where I discovered something called Ace Pear Cider by a, a, a company, uh, the California Cider Company in Sonoma, California. I remember that. And I fell in love with that stuff. I thought you were a weirdo. Yeah, I know. Well, I am, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, but I fell in love with that stuff. And for the longest time, you couldn't get it back back here in Louisville, but you could get it up in Cincinnati. So whenever I went up to Jungle Gyms in Cincinnati, I'd grab some. Well, since then, they've come out with a blood orange craft cider called Space, S-P-A-C-E. It's uh, 6.9% alcohol by volume. It definitely looks blood orange. It does not look like a beer. It looks like uh, uh, an unfiltered cider. Um, and I got to say, I picked one up to try it at, um, at Total Wine. And man, this stuff is good. It is really good. It's got a little bit of a, uh, a tart bite on the back end. But this is extremely drinkable. I, it's definitely making its way into my regular rotation. So 
that's what I'm drinking, and uh, it brings back memories of those happy times in Oklahoma City. Well, the mailbag is stuffed, stuffed, stuffed. Well, good. That's great. Well, let's just get on this chip through these. these. There's a lot of these. I've tried to paraphrase where I can, and uh, we'll, we'll discuss some of these because there's some good good topics here. Uh, Roger Foss from Chico, California, uh, writes in about our we, – we had a prior listener mail about decaling complex schemes and uh, scribing and decaling, I think it was uh, drop tanks or yes, external external fuel tanks. Yeah. And he kind of echoes your, your sentiment about uh, – Using a circle template, if you could, or maybe making a custom one with a with a custom circle cutter of some kind. Yeah, uh, you know that's just that's that's tough. Um, what about you, Jim? You ever had to rescribe the uh, the circumferential uh, panel lines on a on a drop tank or a bomb or something like that? Actually, I was just working on over the weekend the underside of a Corsair, and I am really really bad at rescribing. That's one of the skills I've never picked up. And uh, I don't have it. I like the idea of putting a circle template over it and then you can scribe it around. Assuming you keep it level. Yeah. <laughs> there, therein lies the problem. Yeah. There is the challenge. And he also goes on to say about scoring a decal from the center out to the edge to get it to conform. And I guess it's, it's hard to visualize that, but I understand what he's saying. I guess the caveat is there is sometimes you get overlap where the cut comes back over itself as the curve comes around. You know what I'm saying there? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, gets a little harder to, hard to deal with, but, uh, uh, some good tips. If the original author of the email asking that question can, can try that. That's something they can do there. I, I don't do those kind of things, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I can't <get> help. <laughs> I will say having extra decal is always preferable to having less decal. That's my yes. scarce part. When you're putting the things you wrap them around and they don't meet, yeah, that's and then you got to mix paint to match. <laughs> Sean Corden from Columbia, Tennessee, which is a little southwest of Nashville. Uh, he basically asked if there are any scale modelers in the Middle Tennessee area, so I put him on IPMS Middle Tennessee. Uh, we've been down to that show a few times, Dave. Yes, in fact, I re- speaking of modeling fluid, I remember one time sitting in the lobby of the little convention center where it was being held. Uh, we had With made a brown a run, bag. Yes, we had made a run to the grocery store down, or the uh, gas station down the street. With our 40 ounces and brown bags. <laughs> this is what uh, cracks me up about Dave and our friends in Australia is I think they're convinced he's a raging alcoholic. With the amount, every story you guys have talks about alcohol, and Dave doesn't even drink that much. <laughs> I'm a lightweight. I completely confess. I, while I enjoy my my liquor, I I drink it too slowly to um to to have it really hit me hard. With rare rare occasion, he drinks just enough at the at the right times. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> to make a story, the, yeah. the the right times are becoming more and more often. Though you got in this day and age. Our buddy Tim Cavalier is back, and he's lamenting the reality of negative modeling. So oh. you've to- you've coined a phrase <laughs> um, <laughs> that hits very close to me right now because I just spent all of my modeling time last night recreating a wingtip light for the mosquito that I lost. So I had to carve one from clear sprue and then sand it to shape. So. I'm feeling the negative modeling. Well, 
his break point was pretty severe. Um, he's working on Monogram's B-58, which is probably a putty monster. Yeah. And uh, somehow he managed to sit on it. Oh! <laughs> oh, that hurts. Sorry, Tim. He, he said only the wing root popped out, so that's probably pretty lucky. He probably must have caught himself right as he made contact there. But uh, Now, I've done that with sunglasses, but never a model. I know I have never sat on a model, although on a number of occasions I have juggled one unsuccessfully. And had it re-kit itself on the floor? Yes, exactly. Okay. And he says, like you and your M30, he's uh, delayed his M5A1 Stewart or light tank uh, due to fear of messing it up. Fear again. Yep. Got to overcome it. Jim, you've been doing good at overcoming fear? Or is this mosquito got you? You know, well, I've also been negative modeling as well. I tried something new on the mosquito, the the Roy Sutherland Future Wash, and it did not turn out the way I hoped. So I had to strip that back and, and repaint the whole cockpit, which I'm actually pretty happy with. It's turning out better the second time. So all's well that ends well. Uh, Kip Jackson's back again, and our Argentinian listener from last time has struck a nerve. Kip agrees. He wants no more inbox reviews. I think he wants a moratorium on inbox reviews. Amen. He'd rather see a build process review or a kit comparison. He doesn't need some Yahoo with a camera and a microphone telling him what's in the box. <laughs> I could not agree more. I got to say one of the, uh, there was a short-lived magazine. I think it was called MMP uh, that their policy was when they did kit reviews, they took the kit out of the box, built it, painted it or didn't paint it and put the decals on just assembled straight and gave you photos of the assembled model and then put the decals on it to test the decals. And, you know, there's a, there's a big advantage to that because you really could see exactly what, what the kit was. Um, And they were very honest reviews, which is maybe one reason they didn't stay around so long. There were some guys on the web doing a similar thing. They called them unvarnished. And I went to their page the other day, and it looks like it's under renovation. I want to say it's military modelers, but they had done a few uh, aircraft that way, just building them. They didn't put the decals on, but building them, shooting the pictures, and then putting them up on the website. That was kind of cool. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Ethan Eidenmill from IPMS San Diego has written in again, and he gives us a good compliment about John, the John Miller episode, which we've got a lot of those. That, yes. that was a big hit. That was a big hit. So thanks, Jim, for setting that up for us. Well, the problem is you're giving Miller a big head. Okay, well, get him a tight hat. It'll all be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the crux of Ethan's email, uh, other than the, the props for that episode, are um, – IPMS San Diego, in cooperation with the San Diego Model Car Club and the San Diego Air and Space Museum, are pleased to announce that they are planning to host this San Diego Model Expo Saturday, June 5th at the San Diego Air and Space Museum Annex at Gillespie Field. The details are available on their website at www.ipmssd.org. And uh, note that the arrangements of of this event are dependent on the local health regulations at the time of the event. So... Looks like they're trying to have a show. That's fantastic. You know, like nature is healing. Model shows are going to happen again. Nature is healing itself. Yeah, a friend of mine and I were talking. We might go down there. That's how desperate we are for model shows. That's a pretty big haul for you guys. 
Yeah, it's about an hour on an airplane, hour and a half. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. And Southwest has cheap flights, man. You can get down there for nothing. David Waples, talking about those U-9 submarines popping up all over the internet right now. People building those. Yep. Uh, he says that rcsubs.cz has an etch set for that kit already. Oh, all right. I got to look uh, at that. Ushi van der Osten has a mass set now for the anti-slip sections of the of the uh, of the submarine as well. So Ooh. it's pi- it's piling up quick, Dave. You better get on it. There could be so much aftermarket, you're going to drown in it. I'm I'm gonna love it, man. I'm I'm telling <laughs> you, I'm, I'm still fired up. That one's definitely a squirrel. We'll talk about that later. Jim, you going to build that submarine? Is that not your cup of tea? No, that's not my thing. I don't need tubes in my life. All right, we'll sit back and watch Dave do it. Exactly. Uh, Leo Posner from just north of Philly is a one to one forty fourth airline guy, and uh, this is a kind of a shout out to the model company who helped him out. Um, he's building the Eastern Express MD eleven. I bet that's a joy. Oh, I bet it is. <laughs> now it was missing a part, but a qu- but a quick side. I-, I got on their website when he sent this. I didn't realize they made so many civilian aircraft in that scale. Yep. Anyway, it was missing a part, so he contacted. Eastern Express in the Ukraine, a gentleman named uh, Mikhail answered very promptly and was uh, saying, you know, it's going to cost more to ship that part than it does to make this entire kit. Is there anything else we could do? And uh, they figured out that uh, Leo has a buddy, a pilot, who's flying in out, out of Cologne a lot. So Mikhail of Eastern Express shipped the part to the buddy's hotel in Cologne. And his buddy arrived at the front desk, got the part, and hand carried it back to the U.S. So, looks like Eastern Express is uh, pretty good on the customer service. That is a fantastic story. Man, I love to hear companies going the extra mile. And I don't blame them for trying to, to, to save some money and figure out how to get them the part as economically efficiently as possible. That's just a great story. Uh, friend Stephen Lee from Sprue Pies with Frets, uh, recently tried a beer from Clown Shoes Brewery called Rainbows Are Real, and I forgot to put the style of beer it was in the notes, so excuse me, Stephen, for that, but, uh, he says he wasn't a fan, and I would say that that price started with the name Clown Shoes. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm not sure I could drink. I, I don't have whatever that phobia is, the irrational fear of clowns, but, I am definitely not a clown fan, so I'm not sure I'd try Clown Shoes Brewery. Now, he he said what this had in it. It had a lot of uh, pine and, God, something else. Basically, it, uh, he made it, no, no, but it was, you know, it was, the word was almost turpentine, but it wasn't turpentine. Hmm. But he said, you know, this tastes like you mixed it with uh, Mr. Surface Leveling or Mr. Color Leveling Thinners. I was, I was just about to say somebody heard Dave rave about uh, Unicorn Tears and put it in a beer. Hey, you know what? I have not, I have not tried tasting Mr. Uh, Mr. Unicorn Tears. I do not recommend anybody do it. Understand me. I'm, this is a joke. But by God, it could do everything else. I wouldn't be surprised if it could could freshen up a beer. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this just out of curiosity because there's only one beer I've ever had I could not drink. Well, okay. And, back, but, you, I, and you, I don't remember I don't I don't remember the name. But back to the prior listener mail, it was from the Ukraine, so I, I don't 
I don't know. I'm, I'm going to try rainbows for real. We'll okay. see. All right, Stephen, I'll let you know how it was. But he had some nice words about the Red Army uniform segment. So thank you for that. And uh, good luck on your beer selection next time, Stephen. Amen. Uh, Nick Westcott, no geography given. Um, favorite modeling fluid is Glenn Morangi 10 years. So he's a Scotch oh. guy, Dave. Oh, good stuff. Jim, you like Scotch? Uh, I'm not a big Scotch guy. I tend to stick to the bourbons and the Canadian whiskeys. Well, my wife likes a lot of scotch. Scotch is not a lot of scotch in general. Let's <laughs> <laughs> phrase that correctly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dwayne Bagley from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Now, this is an interesting one. Do we have any go-to or can't-miss modeling publications? Now, Dwayne, I'm an IPMS member and an AMPS member, so I get the IPMS Journal. I get AMPS Foresight, and uh, I subscribe to Fine Scale Modeler. I rarely pick up any other publication right now unless it's something that catches my eye or I'm traveling or something like that. So I don't have any go-tos. All my go-tos dried up and went away. Um, I used to buy a lot of uh, the old British military modeling and because I like that magazine. And uh, God, what was the other one? Military Miniatures and Review. Another great magazine. That's oh, that was now. a good one. That was a yeah. phenomenal magazine. Jim, you got any? Well... This is going to sound biased, but I would say my favorite magazine is IPMS Canada's Random Thoughts, RT. Um, Steve Silve does a great job of just getting goofy stuff in it. And I still read uh, Scale Aircraft Modeling, and it's kind of all over the place, and they've run through a lot of editors, and it's you never know what you're going to get, but I got a cheap uh, online subscription. I read that. Well, with with me, I, let me echo Jim. Uh IPMS Canada's RT to me is the one modeling magazine that I, when it comes, I will sit down and read cover to cover. Uh, Steve is an excellent editor. The articles are always interesting, even if they're not in my particular subject area. Uh, I can't recommend uh, IPMS Canada's RT highly enough. I continue to subscribe to Scale Aircraft Modeling. Uh, Jim's opinion is absolutely correct. I've, I've had, I have that magazine since issue one, number one. There's a part of me that thinks that at this point I subscribe to it just out of habit or, or nostalgia rather than, uh, anything else. Cause it really does. It really has gotten kind of up and down, but, uh, I'll tell you what, even though I was not, uh, and am not a big armor modeler, MMIR was just an amazing magazine to me. It just the 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 quality of the of the reviews, the quality of the builds was just something at that point in time when it came out, you just didn't see anywhere else. Now, it it you never knew when it was going to come out and that ultimately I think is what killed it, but it, it in its time it was a great magazine. And finally, Joe Portia from Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, he's thanking us for the Nats promotion we've been doing. So you're welcome for that, Joe. Uh, he's got an interesting question. Any way to model heavy rain? He has a diorama he wants to do, and he wants to do the rain splashes. Now, I can't remember where I saw it. It might have been on the modeling news when they are doing a magazine or, or a book review. Um, there was a recent magazine or book 
that had a dio on the front cover, I think, that somebody had actually pulled this off. Yes. And I, I cannot remember what it was. I saw it online. There may be a YouTube on its construction, but it was uh, like the part side part of a barn with an overhang. Yes, and that's a it. Cu- and a couple of figures up under the overhang getting out of the rain. And then there was the the rain and the heavy splash. It was amazing. And I cannot remember. I know I saw it online. I think there is a YouTube or YouTube series on its construction. So, Joe, if if you go to YouTube and Google heavy rain diorama or, or uh, you know, search heavy rain diorama in on YouTube, maybe it'll pop up. But that thing was amazing. And you're right. They actually pulled off, pulled that off. And I'm not sure how they did it. Well, we'll have to leave this to the power of the internet. I think somebody out there listening will know what this is and, and notice back and we'll, we'll send it on to Joe. Yeah. Give uh, us a pointer. A, I've got a very different technique and it won't help Joe. I just put mine outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, that only works in Washington. Yes, state. exactly. That's my point. It works around here. Not so good in, in Vegas. <laughs> it's like the K- Kentucky weather rock. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the problem is my rain's out of scale, but you know, whatever. Well, it's like all those little model ships floating in the out-of-scale ocean in all the movies. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Well, that wraps up Listener Mail, Dave. It's all time right. For pitches, pitches and plugs. Yeah. Uh, folks, if you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment when you're done listening to go to whatever podcasting app you listen to us on and rate the podcast. Please give it five stars. It helps drive the visibility of the podcast up, and we appreciate it. Also, if you listen and enjoy, tell one of your modeling friends. Turn them on to the podcast. Uh, You know, I know only a small percentage of modelers listen to podcasts, and we'd like to grow our audience. So the best way for us to do it is have somebody recommend us to a friend. So please do that if you would. We'd also like to plug our fellow podcasts. We've got the Australians with On the Bench, and we've got uh, Jim's Canadian buddies at uh, Scale Model Podcast. We've got the Plastic Posse Podcast right in the U.S. with us, along with uh, along with Model Geeks, and we've got Just Making Conversation out of the U.K. So it's uh, it's gotten a little crowded, but we're we're coordinating and making sure that all comes off pretty well. So there's lots to listen to. I'm I'm, I'm having trouble keeping up now. I am too. I'm, I'm, Yep, I'm managing. Three of us. Yeah, but uh, there's some good stuff out there. Yep. We also want to plug our non-podcast uh, content generators. We've got Stephen Lee with uh, Sprue Pie with Frets. We've got Jeff Groves, Inch High. Mm-hmm. What else we got, Dave? We've got Hale Wallace with Model Airplane Maker, who is doing both a blog and he started to do videos. And his last couple of YouTube videos have really been great. Uh, Jim, of course, does a scale Canadian TV, though not nearly often enough. I will be dropping one tomorrow night. Okay, but when are you going to record an episode? I'm going to drop it, record and drop it tomorrow night. (laughs) Okay, you clearly didn't get that joke. Oh, I got it. I just ignored it. Well, Jim, give us the details on that since you're here tonight. Well, 
what this all started is when COVID went on lockdown, I just started doing basically video blogs and it's just me talking. And my whole goal is is kind of just motivate people and motivate myself. Um, it might have worked for the first one. It's worked less for the second one. I also have a blog at ascalecanadian.com where I occasionally write um, things that interest me, though less than in the past. But uh, yeah, the, the YouTube thing was, I just started doing it and a few people watch, so I keep doing it. And I talk about what's happening and kind of what you guys do, what's happening on my workbench, what broke my wallet, um, try to promote the podcasts and have some fun. All right. I'm going to, instead of doing the IPMS plug this, this uh, episode, Jim is a board member of IPMS Canada, so I'm going to let him extol the virtues of both IPMS Canada membership, IPMS USA membership, and membership in any of the IPMS national organizations. Take it away, Jim. All right. Well, I, I'm just going to say what Dave has to say is figure out uh, what country you're in and then join that local IPMS. Uh, I happen to be a dual member. I am a member of IPMS USA and IPMS Canada, and I am the social uh, media coordinator, which is a highfalutin term for Facebook dude. And uh, some of the benefits of IPMS Canada, we got a great magazine we put out four times a year. And occasionally we do free decal sheets. And the last issue showed up with a free decal sheet. And there'll be another one coming out. Uh, I'm not sure if it's in the next issue or the issue after that. Uh, it did teach us something is how many people can look at a decal sheet and approve it and completely not notice that uh, we got the serial wrong on the Spitfire. <laughs> but uh, other than that embarrassment, uh, it's it's a good organization. We uh, IPMS Canada tries to be Canadian focused and most of our decal sheets are Canadian subjects. And uh, I think coming up, the next decal sheets, I think, is going to have chipmunks and Chinooks and F5s and some sort of tank thing. Countdown to Vegas. As of the time of this recording, we are 177 days away yes. from the IPMS National Convention in steamy Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, there's an adjective I hadn't used yet. Bob Lomasaro checks in with me this week, and they the show committee has toured the Rio last week and discussed the upcoming events and the changes in the COVID policy that may affect the show. Nevada is slowly relaxing their attendance rules, and by August, they don't foresee any problems with the show going off as planned. Let's hope that trend holds. Yay. Hopefully, we have about everybody vaccinated by then. Jeez. Yeah, yep. we can hope. Um, the only caveat is maybe the awards ceremony attendance may have to be affected by that, but... Uh, I don't know, man. I've been to a couple of those. That might be self-correcting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll get no disagreement from me. Yeah. Especially if it's on closed caption and you can get it in the bar. <laughs> the, the, the be, speaking of that, the best one of the best conventions I ever went to was in St. Louis. In I think it might have been 92. Early. It's the one where uh, Mike got the nickname Mr. Guns. Uh that that convention ninety one was ninety one. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> that convention they broadcast the award ceremony on the hotel TV's closed channel, so you could sit in your hotel room on your bed and watch the entire award ceremony. It was the best. It was the best uh, 
award ceremony I've ever seen, and nobody else has done it since. And I really wish somebody would pull that off because that's the <laughs> way to do it. Well, maybe Bob will take that to heart and see what the Rio could do. Yep. That would be a way to, you know, let other people participate who, could, who couldn't come live if they end up pinching how many people can be at the thing. Yeah, yeah. that'd be a good idea. Model registration. Oh, hang on. Back up. Pre-registration is on track for April 1st. Model registration forms have now been posted and anyone wishing to get a head start and filling out their model forms can go online. Now, he says model forms here. Uh, I noticed that the main registration form was not active yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one they were holding till April 1st. They're just giving you the individual model forms so that you can start filling those out now. All right. Well, that makes sense. Uh, and he wants us to pitch the trophy sponsorships again. There's still a lot of great categories available. So if uh, your blog or your podcast hasn't sponsored a trophy package yet, there you go, guys. Have at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cannot wait. I'm anxious as heck to go to go to a national. Missing last year hurt me a lot. So, um, Mike, uh, what's your what's your benchtop look like? Well, I don't know. I've been getting a little bit done here and there between uh, other crap going on. Uh, the E sixteen A one is primed completely. I got that knocked out last weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, you show I showed you I was I was painting the prop twice. So twice I painted the prop twice. I had a little bit of an issue the first time around. Not sure what happened, but I ended up having to strip the paint off. I masked the yellow stripes and painted it brown. So it's looking good. The props, props painted. A um, little bit of fear setting in now that I've got to got to figure out how I'm going to go about it. Am I going to do some uh, black basing? No, probably not since I already primed in light gray. But uh, am I going to start cutting in all the panel lines and details in black and uh, doing the marbling, that kind of thing? I'm, I may do that, but... Uh, Right now, it's uh, it's put away in the case because I really want to press home on the other one that's on the bench. There's this two any tank gun, which uh, if I don't stop on one, I'm not going to get the other one done. It's the way it's kind of going. So the oil paint work on the anti tank gun is almost done. Um, I'm really re- ready for the dirt and grime now. And I also started working on the base. I uh, started with the uh, the planking or the pallet that goes under the gun. We were talking before we started recording about uh, using that 80 grit super sanding block from Goodman Models to put the uh, wood grain texture on my strip styrene, which has worked out really well. Uh, and since I've done the the planking for under the gun, I've, I've, I've built one of the revetment walls and use the same technique there again, texturing it with 80 grit, uh, the 80 grit sanding block and uh, just making that out of styrene stock from Evergreen. So that one's moving along pretty good. Um, I'm probably going to keep working on the base and get all those wooden parts done and start painting those and uh, see what's going on. But like I said, one needs to go away for a while. So the E16 is in, in, in the display case to keep the dust off of it. I'm going to press the Zist 2 on to finish or near finish before I pull that out again. And maybe I'll have the nerve to paint it at that point because that's the right. big hang up. That's great. <laughs> well, I, I can't, first of all, I, I like what you're doing with your base work uh, on the Zist do you know the pallet the gun sits on? Would yes. that would they transport that with the gun, or would they make a new one every time they got to, you know, their their next spot where they dig in? I have no idea. 
Okay, I didn't know if if it's, there were it's pictures. To keep, it's to keep it out of the mud once it starts getting wet in the in the emplacement. I guess is probably what that's for. Yeah. Well, I really like what you're doing, and I really can't wait to see that Zis go on to be finished. That's it's really coming along nicely. So, Jim, well, what does your bench top look like? Well, I kind of just want to say squirrel and defer. <laughs> uh, if we talk about what's on my bench top, there is a Sea Fury that needs paint in 48 scale. There is a 72nd scale Spitfire 9 that needs paint. There is a 72nd scale Spitfire 19. Both of those are Airfix that should have been done last year. I've got a 135th scale Tamiya Cromwell, or sorry, Tamiya Valentine that I wanted to do for Valentine's Day. It's not done. I've got an Airfix 76 scale Cromwell and the Mosquito. That's a lot. Oh, and, a, and an Academy Corsair. So this is why I get nothing done. Yes, we're going to talk about that in our special segment. We will. Up, that That is definitely a lot. Dave, what's on your bench? Well, um, right now, first and foremost is the Mosquito, because uh, I was lagging behind Jim and, and uh, many other of the participants in the Mosquito group build. So uh, I've been pushing forward on it. I've got all the major sub-assemblies done. And other than losing the landing light, which I had to reproduce from uh, clear sprue, uh, which slowed me down with some negative modeling, the mosquito's actually moving along really well. Now, that's either because I'm really interested in the mosquito or fear has set in again on the M30. Um, I highlighted the gun shield, the rivets, and, and other spots on the gun shield. I highlighted all of the rivets and stuff down one of the split trails. Uh, I did the pin wash on the wheels, and it looks really good and surprisingly good for somebody who's never done any of this before. And whenever things are, it's ironic, whenever things are going right, is when that you you find some reason not to return to the model, uh, and it's it's a combination of ADHD and fear. But at least the mosquito has moved forward. I did get stuff done on the M30. It just is at a stopping point for the last week. But I'm going to try and push forward, not let that happen. It's uh, uh, see where I can get to. I would I would love nothing better, Mike, than you being able to take the ZIS and me being able to take the M30 out to Las Vegas for the Nationals. So, fingers crossed, we both get to it, we can get that done. Assume we can afford it. Yes. What broke your wallet? Well, actually, I've been pretty good about this. The last two weeks, about the only thing I did was I bought some... Um, some plaster weld from Alpha abrasives along with some of their sanding sticks and uh, uh, other, uh, you know, flexophile uh, sanding strips and stuff. And the only other thing was um, I bought a famous aircraft of the world book on the TU-128, uh, which I didn't even know existed. Lord Bezos in his, his space, Lord Bezos in his infinite wisdom I had looked at some things on Amazon regarding the TU-128, and through the magic of the algorithm, next thing I know, 
here is, you know, a suggestion for the famous aircraft of the world, which I have a lot of those books, but I just don't have, didn't know there was one on the TU-128. And so as soon as I, the, as soon as it was suggested to me, I purchased it and it came from Japan. Uh, and I just got it the other day and leafed through it briefly. And it's going to come in handy as I, as I get the TU-128 going uh, back onto the bench and moving forward. Jim, what about you? Well, I made the mistake of going to uh, Skyway uh, model shop run by the evil Emil and uh, walked out of there with two things that I, one, I had no intention to buy. And that was a Ukrainian company called AMP. I've just done a Sikorsky S51 and it had maple leafs on the box top and I couldn't resist myself. And I also broke down and bought one of those Edward Bumblebee uh, ag sprays. Um, just because it looks like a nice kit and a friend's building one and I have no control. What hasn't broke my wallet yet, but will be breaking my wallet in a couple days, is a company by the name of Flightline Engineering is going to release at the end of the month a 172nd CF100 uh, 3D printed resin update set. And well, Obscurico uh, did a resin update set for the Hobbycraft CF100. This one's got some additional details and some other things. So I think I'll probably pick that up. I will as well. Well, I've, I've been pretty good. I'm finally an owner of a bottle of Mr. Color Leveling Thinner. <laughs> Yay! Don't put it in the bullet. Uh, no, I won't do that. I got quite a few... Uh, Messages from folks out there in our listener base saying, I can't believe you haven't tried this yet. It's it's the bomb. So yes. I've tried it now and I like it. Especially with AK Real Colors or Tamiya. It, it's magical oh. with those two. Well, I used it with Mr. Color, which is what it's made for. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was their uh, Japanese propeller color. Yeah. So chocolate brown. Yeah. It's got a nice uh, semi-gloss finish now that now it's all done. I don't know what it was supposed to be. If I, if I just sprayed it without the Mr. Color Leveling Thinner, it would be flat. I don't know what those colors. I've, I've never used that line of paint before, ever. That was the first time for the thinner and the first time for the paint. Good. That's great. That's, that's your plan for getting better. I guess so. And I picked up some other consumables, one the Japanese Propeller Color and then a bottle of uh, a Life Color I've been chasing. Um, for a while thanks to john bonani suggested this color for me based on uh, one of his builds i need a good source for life color i can't find one in the united states uh sr scale reproductions uh used to bring it in fairly regularly i don't know if he still does or if he special orders or if he still has access but at one time he had a fair amount of life color because i've got uh, a number of bottles of it, uh, particularly their Kriegsmarine colors. Well, I'll keep I'll keep looking. There's some more colors I want, but uh, they're just just nobody's got them. It's probably the pandemic's making it hard to get right now, but we'll see. Yeah. Mike, are you looking for standard colors or the box sets? Well, I'm looking for one of the box sets or the individual bottles from the box set. Uh, off topic, but send me a list because Emil does have. The rack, I don't know if it's got what you're looking for, but next time I'm up there, I'll take a look. 
All right, I will do that. Thank you, sir. Well, we're going to break here and have a word from our new sponsor, Model Paint Solutions. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder Steenbeck airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. We thank John Miller for uh, coming on board with us, and Jim, thanks you for helping us get connected with him. It's going to be a, a great relationship, I think, and having him on every so often. Yeah, he's uh, really good at teaching things. I, uh, you can tell that he has a science background and has been in the uh, academic science world, and he has helped my airbrushing, I think, more than anybody else I've ever met. Well, he's got lots of kudos from that episode, and it's our hands down our, our best performing episode ever, maybe until we have him on again. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. So we're glad to have him on. Um, our special segment tonight is titled entitled Squirrels and Rabbit Holes. And uh, Jim, you suggested this, I think. I believe so. We're going to let you kick it off. Okay. Well, earlier few minutes ago, I talked about my model bench. And what you can see is I have severe attention deficit uh, disorder. And I want to say I don't finish much due to lack of mojo, but I actually don't finish much because of too much mojo. And I get sidetracked all the time. So and, and Dave likes to call me up and yell squirrel at me. Uh, and it, and the interesting thing is by 11 o'clock today, I'd already been distracted by two new things. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I go on Facebook and I, somebody posted a video of the Spitfires in Hong Kong and I'm thinking, oh, I need to dig out my Airfix Spitfire 22 and build that. And then, uh, one of our friends in the Mosquito, uh, group mentioned that the Danish were involved in the Cuban Missile Crisis watching the, uh, ships take the missiles and bring them back. And I'm like, wow, I want to build one of those. And, I run into this problem where I have focus and then I lose it because a new picture or something exciting shows up in my email or I see something online and now there's 800 million more projects and I I need help. I, I really wish my local hobby shop would get in a bottle of uh, Mr. Modeling Focuser or Mr. Modeling Finisher. Uh, they've been out of stock for years and uh, I really need that stuff. So. My problem is just so many cool things I'd like to build, so many cool things out there that interest me, and I have no attention span. Well, the, so one of the reasons my, Jim and I were talking about this before we decided to do this segment, this I think at least in part is very much related to the uh, previous segment Jim did with us, Fear and Self-Loathing, where... I think we all have the the thing where we get distracted by the new shiny object, whether it's the new kit or a photo that interests us or maybe a, a new version of a Soviet tank that we didn't know existed or whatever it is. But I think we let ourselves get distracted partly because of the, uh, you know, the fear of failure, the fear of, of, wanting to finish but not not being confident about being able to go ahead and do it. So we let ourselves get distracted by that next project. Starting is always easier than finishing. 
Yes, absolutely. And I plead guilty to distracting Jim regularly. Uh, one of the things that, that brought this uh, topic to the forefront was uh, I ran across the British in 1942-43 lent the U.S. a carrier for the use in the uh, Southwest Pacific area. Um and I just came across it. They they renamed the ship the USS Robin while it was operating with the U.S. Navy. And I happened to mention it to Jim as an aside. And he hadn't heard about it, didn't know anything about it, went researching. And the next thing you know, he's desperately interested in wanting to build one of the British aircraft operating off the carrier. And unfortunately, there don't seem to be a lot of photos of them. And so it was just not only a squirrel, but a rabbit hole that he ended up going down and he regularly cursed me for it uh, when we talked. Yeah, I my problem, and I think I'm a little bit different than a lot of modelers today, is I think I'm one of these old guys and I'm more interested or at least really interested in the research part. And I think what happens with me is I just get these research ideas and then I want to build a model, but I've already got three on the bench, so I start something new. I'm impressed with myself, uh, Dave, because I never started that Avenger that I wanted to build off the Robin. But I think that's where, I think we all, you know, we are all interested in different things. Like a lot of people are really interested in weathering or painting. And I think I'm a research guy. And it really distracts me because I start researching things and find cool things and then find other cool things. And next thing you know, no modelers or models are done, but I've filled up another hard drive full of photos. Well, Dave, that happened to me today. I know. That was ironic that we were going to do this, uh, this episode. And this morning, both you and Jim contacted me, both having been distracted by new and interesting items. So, so mine today was, I took a little break at work and I was on German eBay looking at photographs, German soldier snapshots. And there was this, uh, knocked out or abandoned Soviet T-60 light tank. And it was the version where they had all the extra applique armor around the turret and it had an octagonal turret hatch, which normally is kind of bean shaped or kidney shaped. And I was like, man, I've never seen that before. What what What's up with that? So the next thing I know, I'm on eBay looking through all the kits of the T-60 from, from MiniArt, trying to figure out what the hell this thing is, looking at scale drawings and thinking, oh man, this is this is unique. I got I to gotta build this. Well, it turns out MiniArt has kitted that version. It was the version of the T-60 that was built at, uh, I can't remember the factory number, but it was located in Stalingrad. And it had an octagonal hatch instead of this round hatch, which was kind of cool. So next thing I know, I'm looking for the uh, cheapest price with shipping (laughs) 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 to go buy this kit because, uh, hey, and I've already built a T-60. Now I'm I'm thinking I want to build another one. I got this, this squirrel's distracting me. So (laughs) that's, that's mine. Do you notice something in in regard to what Jim said about... Uh, research and all is I do know quite a number of modelers 
who start a kit intending to build a particular version or a particular aircraft with a particular set of markings and then end up stopped halfway through it because they can't find the one piece of information that they think they need to finish the model and they have a huge fear of finishing it and then that one piece of information coming to light and it being different than what they did. Um, I do notice, you, you notice Night Shift on his videos, the one thing he doesn't ever do is talk about research other than when he's reproducing a particular photograph or a particular weathering effect. Uh, he'll, he, he does obviously research for that and he talks about that, but he clearly is not diving deep into the intricacies of the May 1944 production of the, you know, Yog Tiger at this plant and this, you know, uh, he builds models. And I'm convinced that's one of the reasons he finishes. Yeah, my struggle has always been, I wish I was one of these guys who could knock out a kit in two weeks, because that's about what my level of interest is. And I can't, and it takes forever. And I have always said that's a lot of my problem is just complete lack of focus. And as Mike said, it's easier to start something new. Once you screw something up, start something new, because this one will be perfect until you screw it up. So I think it's a combination of a lot of things of getting easily distracted, being not so interested in getting to... Um, the models quickly, and then just having too many ideas in my head. Uh, I wish sometimes, you know, and this this applies to a lot of world, I wish I could slow down my brain. Because um, I think that's the real problem is I'm always got 20, 20 ideas in my head. And realistically, I can build one or two of them. Yeah, it's like having a browser with 20 tabs open. Oh, yeah, I'm that guy. That's exactly me. That, yeah, me too. And, that is exactly the way my computer is, my brain is, and it, you eventually just get overwhelmed. And I've always wondered if the solution is, and and I hate to say this because I've got like six things on my bench, is do one at a time. Yeah. Um, you know, and is that the solution or is the solution just be more focused and say, okay, I'm not going to start a hang until I get some of this stuff done. And then I start something. Um, so really, I'm looking for suggestions on how to slow down my brain and actually finish things. Um, Cause I think the fear for me, fear is separate because my fear is painting and airbrushing and camouflage. So I know why my models sit on my desk once they're built and unpainted. It's the starting and starting and starting is my problem. And it's the squirrel, 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 you know, this is new and shiny or this is exciting or, well, there's a penny on the floor. What's that? Um, that, causes me to start too many things. And I think I just need the willpower to stop doing it, which I don't possess. I'm not one of those people who can do one at a time because, you know, if whatever, I'm not always in the mood to do whatever type of modeling the one model happens to be in. You know, there are sometimes you, you walk in and the model you're working on is in the paint phase and you either don't have enough time to do any significant painting or you're just, you're not feeling it and you'd rather stick parts together. But I do think that if you can find a way to limit yourself to like 
two kits at a time and not not start one until one of those two is done. And you can bounce back and forth between them, have one in the painting stage and one in the construction stage. And then when the one moves out of the painting stage to be done, the other one moves into it, and then you can start something new. I do think the discipline is just something, you know, this is a hobby, so you don't want to, it's hard to to impose discipline without maybe losing some of the enjoyment of the hobby, but I do think if you can find some way to do that, you may, A, find yourself building faster and finishing more, and consequently, uh, Jim and I have talked about this a lot. There is nothing that that gets your mojo going more than finishing a model. When you're finished, it's success. You accomplished a goal, even if you're not totally happy with every aspect of that pr- particular model. You finished. You crossed the finish line. I would agree with that. The problem comes in of how do I force myself to do it? Because I think that's exactly right. The perfect example is have one kit in paint, one kit in construction. But I've got eight, so I'm obviously not following my own advice. Well, I don't. I don't know how you you roll that back and and not do that. But there's a lot of squirrels running around my brain as well. But I've got these projects that I, I've I've gone through great lengths of the construction process and how I'm going to do it in my head. And I've, I've, I've not actually broken open a kit and started it, but the project step-by-step step has been analyzed and I know what I want to do and I know I want to build it. And it's a squirrel because I, it's one that got my attention, but I've, I've put all the thought into how I want to do it, what kits I want to use, what aftermarket I want to use, but I've, I've not actually started gluing parts together. Well, that's good. I think yeah, that, that's a good idea. That, I would consider that healthy if I could get to that point where I was just building them in my head, except for the ones, one or two that was actually on my bench, as long as I didn't find building in the head too distracting. Yeah, I'm impressed by your restraint because I don't want to build in my head. I want to build in real life. So I always start another kit. But if you get eight on your bench, you don't get anything done, do you? Oh, no. <laughs> and that's my problem. I, I've Since we started the podcast, I'm, I'm actually able to work on a, on two, maybe three. I had three going for a little while, but one of them got finished. Yeah. Um, but uh, two, yeah, I, it's going to be tough to start something else right now. I, I got, Something's got to get a little further along. These people who build one at a time. They're, are they from Mars? Are they, you know, on drugs? Like, I don't understand that. It's great. I think it probably works really well for them, but that does not fit my attention span. Yeah, me neither. I used to do that, but I don't know. Since we started the podcast, I've been able to expand a little bit past that and still keep it in check. Two, two, or two to three is probably my limit. After that, it's just too much, too much to, too much to think about. I do think that Jim brought up a really good point, which is if, and this is one of the many things I would like to get better at. I don't know what my plan for getting better is, but I definitely recognize it's a problem. I need to be able to build faster 
than I currently do. Uh, part of it is, it's not necessarily that I don't have enough model time, enough hobby time. I mean, I would always like more, yeah. But I think I have sufficient hobby-related time, but I find myself not accomplishing the modeling tasks in the modeling time that I have, if I could learn to build more efficiently, then I do think that it would help with this problem of, you know, letting yourself get distracted. Well, that's squirrels. Rabbit holes to me is something completely different. Yeah, I agree. Rabbit holes is when you suddenly get an interest in a subject and you start doing research and you just keep digging. And the more you dig, the more you find. And the more you find, the more you buy. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, well, for me, it's, it was, it was the final, the final actual embracement of this float plane and catapult deal I've got going on. Um, I'm working through my first one, but, you know, I start this project and then Jeff Groves sends me all these books in the mail. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm down this rabbit hole of, of, uh, not only naval aviation and, and I'm not talking carrier deck stuff. I'm talking about catapult launched aircraft. I, I don't, I've not even started down the flight deck stuff yet. Except that I did ask you about a, a devastator the other day, though, didn't I, Dave? Yes, yes you did. You're, <laughs> you're getting there. So w- with this, though, I, I've I started the catapults. I, I knew the ones I wanted to build first, but now I'm looking at at British ones. I'm looking at French ones. I'm, I'm and it's just this thing just keeps. It's like it's growing. It's like yeah. a snowball going down the hill and, and I, I'm getting all this interest and I'm, I'm on the, on the internet, looking up stuff, trying to find drawings, trying to find magazine articles and I'm buying kits that God knows when I'm going to build, but they take doesn't help you by starting to release turrets. Well, until they release a, uh, you know, dreadnought era turret, um, I'm probably okay with what they've done so far, but you know, th- that's a rabbit hole. I'm, I'm, I'm completely out of my normal genre. I'm completely out of my normal scale. It's taken a completely new, well, it's taken a life of its own, and I've got this whole other thing going on, this whole other modeling subject matter that's, uh, it's either 72nd scale float planes and catapults, or it's 35th scale uh, ship armament, which is also what Jeff's books helped me get into a little bit. Yeah. So, so, so we'll see. So, um, that's, for me, that's, that's the rabbit hole. That's the going down and just going and going and going. You guys got anything like that going on? Well, about, well, this all starts back in the 80s. In the 1980s, I ended up going to an air show and the uh, in Hamilton, Ontario, and the Canadian Warplane Heritage had just got a ex-Canadian hurricane delivered to the museum that unfortunately uh, uh, was burnt in a fire, I don't know, 20 years later, 10 years later. And that started me down... 15 years ago, researching hurricanes, because I felt like most of what had been written about them uh, and the Canadian production was wrong. And that got published in a couple IPMS uh, magazine, IPMS Canada magazines, and I'm still working on it as a book idea. And this has now been going on 30 years, uh, probably active work for 20. Um, 
it sometimes, and I feel like I've still not scratched the surface of the knowledge I need to do my book. It's crazy. That's one thing I want both you and and Mike to do. You need to write your hurricane book, and Jim ne- or Mike needs to write a book on uh, Soviet helmets. And between the two books, we'd sell what seven copies? Probably to our friends and family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have one autographed copy of each. Okay, so then you know, and then our families buy one, so we're now up to about five copies each. But yeah, I I feel like again the lost researcher and my my favorite story with the hurricane thing is we ended up putting together this these articles for IPMS Canada and then we did some decals on for them and that was great until about 2 days after the decals were printed uh I got video that's now been all over YouTube and and Facebook of these hurricanes I'd never seen before with this great paint scheme. Of course it happened about two days after we printed the decals. So you just print another decal sheet. Yeah, well, exactly. DK decals beat us to it. We never put them on another subject and then they put one of the planes out. But it's amazing to me how the stuff shows up. And even once I published my articles, so much more stuff came out of it. And what I would say, and I think it was Dave who said this, about the guy who's finish, worried about finishing the model and then the stuff coming out, I'm the exact opposite. I just want to see the stuff. So I, if, if finishing the model is what it would take, I'll do it. I don't mind if my model's wrong because something new showed up. Well, Dave, you got a rabbit hole? Well, yeah, I, I got I got more rabbit holes than a... Or an opinion. Yeah, than a German Hassenpfeffer factory. Um. What I find fascinating is things that that we don't know that we should know. Um, Dana Bell does a really great talk on uh, uh, Patrol Wing 10 in the Philippines uh, right at the outbreak of World War II. These things were painted in some really bizarre multi-tone scheme and nobody is 100% sure what the the actual colors were. And uh, Dana does a fascinating talk on this um, and he's got lots of black and white photos, uh, but nobody's 100% sure. And it's things like that that I find fascinating that there should be an answer. It seems like Somebody should know there should be a photograph, but there aren't. Uh, I'll tell you another one. Uh, Many, many years ago, the Japanese aircraft, the KI-44, widely used Japanese fighter aircraft, fairly widely produced. There are only like three partial pictures of the interior cockpit of that aircraft, three very grainy, non-complete photos of what the cockpit looked like. Now, there are a fair number of drawings and everything, engineering drawings and all, but for actual photographs of the cockpit, which, you know, somebody somewhere had to have taken them at some point, they just, they don't seem to be out there, and they should be. Um, but I, uh, anything to do with the, uh, 
the Ploesti raid or the Dutch East Indies. Uh, I mean, all I've got to do is find a photograph that I haven't seen before of something interesting or unusual. And the next thing you know, um, the internet has made this so much worse, by the way. Okay. Because if it was just, you you know, when you were limited to your own library, it wasn't that big a deal. You couldn't waste days searching. But given the fact that the internet basically gives you access to a bunch of information all over the world, you can spend days going down those rabbit holes and, and Googling and uh, you know, looking for pictures and looking for, and then you'll find one thing and that'll lead to another thing and that'll lead to another thing. And next thing you know, it's six hours later and you haven't done anything but sit in front of the computer and read and look. So the internet has made it worse. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad we have it. I love it, et cetera, et cetera. But boy, it, it makes going down a rabbit hole so much easier. I don't know what you're talking about, Dave. I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> you've done it while you've been on the phone with me. No, I know. I'm, I'm laughing. Though, you're int- this is a, a kind of a slightly different story, but I think we sometimes tend to put our viewpoint on the past. And one example of this is I got a message from the editor of RT uh, a gentleman in Canada had a P-51 that was painted all black, and he bought it, I think, in the 70s and sold it sometime in the 90s. And there was a modeler out there who wanted to do an article for RT, and he wanted to know what the cockpit looked like. And I said, all I remember is it was red patent leather inside. So I said, well, here's the phone number of the owner. Call him. And so this modeler did that, and he's like, I don't have any pictures. And I'm thinking to myself, in 2020, if I had a P-51, every time somebody wrote in it, I'd snap a picture with my phone. But we didn't have that in the 70s and 80s. Um, and in the end, he found what he was looking for because the restoration shop that restored the airplane took before and after pictures, and some of the before pictures had the funky cockpit. But I think it just shows back in, you know, this was the 70s and 80s, but imagine the 40s. Cameras were pretty rare. So it doesn't surprise me this stuff is harder to find. And a lot of stuff probably just got thrown out because people, you know, family, somebody died. Family said, who needs pictures of cockpits of weird Japanese airplanes and threw them away? Yeah, that's the the, the one thing I worry about every day it, is that, we have this generation passing now, and fa- you know I do enough probate stuff, Jim. I know that's your area, right? But I do enough probate stuff to know that a lot of those things just get tossed. Nobody realizes the value of them. I guarantee you, somewhere out there, there is some veteran who has pictures in a box that show things that we've never seen versions of, of, um, of aircraft or vehicles or whatever that we've never seen. That's, you know, Mike trolls, uh, German eBay looking for that stuff. And I know he's found it more than once. Yeah. I'm, I was amazed the first time he mentioned that, that at least there, the family seemed to realize this is worth something. Let's try to monetize it. 
Whereas I think a lot of it just ends up in the trash. Like I've even heard stories of like uh, aviation companies just throwing away their archives because they don't want to pay to store it. Yeah. Dave, do you have a do you have a modeling rabbit hole though? I've got seven hundred seven hundred scale submarines. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, although I, I will say you now that you've got me building that thirty fifth scale Soviet gun, I have found myself much more interested in the that particular subject, artillery, Soviet artillery. Uh, I have a real interest. <laughs> I have a real interest in the Polish campaign of 39. And I recently found there is a series of YouTube videos where, and I cannot remember the name of the channel, where the guy does videos that are basically old either photographs or film of combat knocked out vehicles. And he's got one on Polish vehicles in the Polish campaign, and he's got one on German vehicles. And I could sit and watch those for hours. And the more I watch, the more I'm interested. Uh, I've already started doing the uh, research for the TKS. And now that the 7TP has been announced, uh, uh, you know, I, I can see that which I know nothing about. It's an area that I have no foreknowledge. So I can see myself spending a lot of time going down those rabbit holes. Well, new stuff is always exciting. So I think that's kind of what propagates the problem. Yes. Anything else on squirrels and rabbit holes? I just, if any listeners have any bottles of Mr. Model Finisher and Mr. Model Focus, please uh, email me. I'd like to buy a couple. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and if anybody out there has tips for, for being more focused, for avoiding letting yourself get distracted, I would love to hear other modelers' strategies. For not doing the new starts. Yeah, for yeah. not doing the new starts and not letting yourself get distracted by every new thing that comes along and keeps you from finishing what you've got in front of you. Well, and hopefully they'll turn up a 400 milliliter bottle of uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Color or Model Finisher. <laughs> there you go, Mr. Model Finisher. <laughs> so, uh, Jim, do you have any shout outs for uh, anybody this uh, this episode? I do. And uh, this person's already been mentioned a couple times. Um, uh, Jeff Inch High Groves sent me a little box. And what I thought would be in it were a couple uh, B-17 long turrets, not Cheyenne turrets for my Airfix kit, which were in there. But there were a bunch of other little 3D printed vehicles and other things, which I've not even completely explored. So thanks, Jeff, for that. I'm going to have to shoot him an email and one, thank him. And two, figure out what some of these little trucks are. They look neat. They're 3D printed all in one piece. So that was a neat surprise. Cool. He must be down. He must be downsizing. <laughs> I wonder if they're test prints or something and he's playing around with stuff. But nonetheless, I appreciate him. So. Absolutely. So, Mike, uh, how about shout outs for you? Well, I'm going to shout out the show contributors as usual. Uh, we got a few more new contributors to uh, Plastic Model Mojo Sean Corden, who we mentioned in Listener Mail from uh, Middle Tennessee. Tim Cavalier is back for a repeat 
contribution and uh, Matt O'Meara. So guys, we thank you for contributing to the show. All this uh, monetary assistance helps us bring the podcast to, to light and uh, keeps us moving forward with our hosting and our equipment costs and all that. So if anyone else would like to follow their example and contribute to Plastic Model Mojo, you can go to the website, www.plasticmodelmojo.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, there's a heart icon to make a PayPal donation. And we really appreciate every 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 penny we get is uh, really flattering and it really helps us it helps us out a lot. So thank you. So any anything else other than our wonderful contributors? Uh, not tonight. I don't think so. Well, I've actually got two shout outs, but they're related. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, our co-host for the night, Jim Bates. Um, Jim not only has been a good supporter and friend of the podcast, but he has also facilitated Dr. Model Paint Solutions, John Miller, coming on our podcast. And then John was uh, not reluctant, but not, uh, uh, you know, he, he needed a little encouragement and Jim encouraged him. And I'd like to thank John Miller for coming on. I'd like to thank him for agreeing to sponsor the podcast. I'd like to thank him for agreeing to make a return visit sometime in the near future. He has lots of useful information, and I am glad to see him getting out there and spreading that information. Because as we got the feedback from, uh, from his episode, I mean, lots of modelers really appreciated his gift at teaching what he knows about airbrushing. All right, Dave, I think we're at the end. I think we are, Mike. I think we've reached the end of a, another episode, and hopefully it gets our, gets our mojo moving for, forward and we get some stuff finished. Well, Jim will quit starting new stuff. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I got my mojo working. It just don't work on me. All right, Dave, as they say, so many kits. So little time. See you next time, Mike. Thanks for joining us, Jim. No problem. Thank you so much. <laughs>